Father in heaven, thank you for your blessings and your watch care over us. Uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, we can come together tonight for this Bible study and then also uh, some time in prayer and, and conducting the business of the church. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon everything that's said and done. We'll honor and glorify the name of Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, tonight we're going to begin with our Bible study, and we're in 2 Peter, 2 Peter, and chapter 2, 2 Peter, chapter 2, uh, we're taking our time step by step through this book, and we're actually looking at a second part of Hope for Imitators. And uh, we're looking at verses 21 through 25. Now, last week, we began to look at this particular passage, and tonight I want to continue along the same line as uh, imitators of Christ. And surely as children growing up, no doubt uh, you probably had a hero of some sort. Uh, maybe your hero was a real-life hero, like your dad or your uncle or, or your big brother or someone probably not your sister, but anyway, uh, or you had, you know, one of those fake heroes, Superman or somebody like that, but somebody was a hero to you, someone that you watched closely, and you hoped to be like them when you grew up, and heroes are great, they have their place, there's nothing wrong with admiring character and integrity of other people. But we need to focus our attention on the greatest hero, if you please, of them all, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's the idea that Peter is portraying for uh, believers here in this passage. And we're encouraged to look unto Jesus and to follow him. We're to imitate his life through ours. So let's just take a moment here and review uh, imitators uh, of uh, of Christ uh, uh, and hope for imitators, uh, the first part, we looked at the priority of the saints. Uh, verse 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. So we looked at uh, how that we are called. For even hereunto were ye called. And then we saw that we are confronted because Christ also suffered for us. Uh, he gave us an example. We're confronted with his example of suffering. And then we're charged, and that's actually twofold. We saw there the example because Christ suffered for us. He left us an example. <clears throat> and remember, we said the word example means writing under. We uh, use the illustration of how as little children will learn their ABCs, they'll often uh, trace those letters and uh, they'll write them over and over until they, they get them. So that's kind of what the word example has to uh, meaning there. Then we have the expectation, and that is that we should follow his steps. To tread in the footsteps of another is what that means. And so... We are to follow his steps. As Christ walked, we're to walk as he walked. So that's the priority of the saints. The second thing tonight 
and this is where we'll just uh, spend a few moments here, the purity of the Savior. And here we look at verses 22 and 23. Last week we considered the suffering that Jesus endured while walking here upon this earth, and these verses reveal the purity that he displayed for us all to see. Notice, first of all, his character. In verse 22, the first part, who did no sin. You know, humanity had never witnessed prior to Christ, nor since then, anyone who lived in a life, a life entirely free of sin. Man was created in the image and likeness of God. And while Adam enjoyed life in the Garden of Eden, he walked in a close fellowship with God in the cool of the day. And this was the desire of the Lord as he created man that he might have fellowship with him. And when Adam fell, that fellowship was broken and the curse of sin was passed on to every succeeding generation. Now, sadly, uh, each one of us present here tonight were born under that curse of, the sin, of sin. We were separated from God because of it. See, God is holy, God is righteous, and he cannot condone or approve of sin. And his holiness demands that sin be atoned and reconciliation be made. And we're, we've been studying that in the book of Colossians on Sunday morning uh, in our Sunday school. But uh, man was, was and remains helpless to provide atonement for sin. We're all sinners in need of salvation. None of us have lived one day, one hour, one minute, perhaps, free of sin. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough to do. And yet, sometimes we let that sin go on and on, and we don't confess it. Well, we're all familiar with sin. Uh, we've all heard it preached and taught. Uh, many, uh, often familiarity brings the complaint Placence and lack of urgency. Uh, sin literally means to be without a share in. Because of sin, we're all without a share in God's holiness and God's inheritance. You know, unless sin is atoned for, we remain without a share of God's uh, economy. It also means to err, to miss the mark, to wander from the path of righteousness, to violate God's law. All are born in sin, and that includes all of us. We've all erred from our way, what the ways of God. And we've wandered from his path, and we've violated his holy law. In essence, we're still, uh, we stand condemned because of sin. Now, here the text very plainly says that Jesus did no sin. He lived his life free of sin. He never once knew what it was like to wander from the ways of God or violate his holy ordinances. He never once had to seek forgiveness because he had missed the mark. No, Jesus lived a life free from sin. He lived a life that God demanded that we could never live. I'm sure that all of you who watch CNN, and that's one of your favorite shows, right? Your news, you, you probably saw Don Lemon on CNN in an interview with Chris Como, another uh, liberal media person, he recently said, here's the thing. Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. Now that's, 
right there is a good reason never to watch that. <laughs> but uh, uh, because uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, they promote. But if you let that sink in for a moment, we know that Jesus lived a f- life free from sin. Uh, but that's, that's a tremendous thought. Uh, Jesus lived his entire life without sin, and we could never achieve that level of perfection. But we can strive for it. Notice, secondly, his communication here. We saw his character. It goes on in verse 22 and says, Neither was guile found in his mouth. Now, uh, we've talked about that word guile before. uh, And it especially is uh, something you fishermen should know all about. Neither was guile found in his mouth. It means no deceit. Observe, no, nothing detected or discovered. See, that's what you do when you uh, go fishing, as you, uh, you deceive that fish. You think you're going to give it something to eat when you're really wanting to eat it. Well, that's what the word guile uh, means. But God, or Jesus, never spoke anything that was sinful or vile. He never spoke a word, word that was contrary to the will of God. Uh, Jesus never promoted his own agenda or desires, only that of God. And all of his conversation, his communications uh, revealed that the Father, and it promoted his Father's will. Now that may not seem very compelling, but you just think of the conversation we have from time to time with one another. Consider the words that we speak. You know, much of what we speak is geared toward promoting ourselves and our own agenda. Sometimes we find ourselves speaking harsh words. Uh, We speak them toward someone or about someone. And that kind of makes us feel better when we do that. You know, I'm not like so-and-so. You hear what they did? Well, other than being gossiping, that's not... uh, the kind of communication that we ought to have. Even within a church, people often are critical or judgmental of others. And people, or Jesus, uh, set an example of our conversation. And so the next time we're tempted to complain or belittle or boast or pass judgment or just speak things we shouldn't, we ought to consider our example of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible has much to say about our conversation. Consider a Psalm 59, verse 12, where it says, For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips let even be taken in their pride for cursing and lying which they speak. Uh, Matthew uh, 12, and I didn't put verse 34 there, but we'll start with verse 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And then in verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. In Colossians chapter 4, and verse 6, it says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now, I trust our conversation will always edify the Lord and the Lord's people. The conversation we have will either be a blessing or hindrance to the work of God. 
And no doubt many have fallen by the wayside due to the words and the conversation that was uh, identified with someone in a church. And that's one of the greatest needs, I think, in our day. We need God's people to speak like we belong to him. And then notice thirdly his conduct, verse 23. In verse 23 it says, Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Now here is a verse that speaks of the pristine character of our blessed Lord. When he was reproached and mocked, he didn't return with mockery or reproach. He was falsely accused and treated as a common criminal. And yet he never opened and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And when he was scourged, beaten, and crucified, he bore the pain and the suffering. He did it with grace and with mercy. And rather than speaking a word and bringing judgment upon those who crucified him, Jesus asked the Father to forgive them. You know, Jesus knew that this was God's will for his life. This was God's plan for redemption. But we need to remember, Jesus was still in the body of flesh. He felt the same hurt and the anger that we do, and yet he suppressed the temptation of retaliation. What an example we find in the life of the Lord Jesus. And to behave in such a matter is contrary to the flesh. It just doesn't come natural to us. You know, when someone speaks a harsh and critical word, what do we want to do? We say, well, I'm not going to let them talk to me that way. And so we lash out in return. When someone hurts us or, or wrongs us, we dwell on getting an opportunity to return the favor. If we aren't careful, we'll find ourselves being the one who's mocking or belittling others. So Jesus set us an example for Christian conduct. It's not our obligation to return vengeance upon those who have wronged us. Luke 6.31 says, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Matthew 5.38, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, for whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. So that's his conduct. Notice then his commitment in verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. This speaks of an admirable quality of our Lord. You know, consider the life that he lived, all the miracles that he performed, the compassion that he showed, the mercy that was extended. And then... Consider all that Jesus endured in living here on this earth. He was despised. He was rejected of his own. He was accused of demon possession. He was arrested and tried for crimes that he did not commit. Uh, he stood before the Sanhedrin, the religious elite of that day. 
He was, uh, was taken and tried before Pilate, the Roman governor over Jerusalem, and upon being declared innocent, Pilate agreed to his scourging and his crucifixion. Jesus was condemned while a murderer and a thief was released. He was led away and crucified upon a Roman cross. And it was there that he experienced the agony that's beyond our, comp our comprehension. Uh, the worst of which was being forsaken of God, the Father, because he could not lick upon sin. And so he bore in his body the judgment that we should have had. And consider that Jesus understood all these things prior to that hour. He knew what he, uh, when he left the glory of heaven, that Calvary was in view. He knew that his own would reject him. He knew that his closest friends would deny him. He knew that he would suffer as no man has suffered, and yet he was committed to that. He committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed himself to the will of God. And that word committed in our text here means to give into the hands of another. Jesus gave himself into the hand of God to become the sacrifice for sin. And he fully submitted to himself to another as he died on the cross. Surely if Christ was committed to the death of the cross, we could be committed to live for him. I wonder how many of us are really committed to the Lord. Really committed to the Lord. How many times have we given, how many, how many of us have given our lives into the hands of another? How many of us have resigned to give our lives solely for the use and the edifying of our precious Lord? I think it's a sobering thought. But if our lives are to imitate the life of Christ, we must be willing to commit ourselves to the one who judgeth righteously. So our Lord has set a high standard. I'm convinced none of us have achieved the level of perfection. But we must strive for that perfection on a daily basis. Do our lives reflect the life of Christ? Is he evident in our lives for the world to see? Does our character, our communication, our conduct, and our commitment follow the example that Jesus Christ has given? If not, it's time to seek the Lord. And if the Lord has spoken to you in any specific area in your life, then you need to get to the on your knees before him and, and confess the sin and get it right. And follow the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the wonderful example that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your word tonight that we can see here how Peter lays out for us the way that the Lord Jesus Christ lived his life, his, his character, his communication, his conduct, his commitment, and how it encourages us to to follow his steps, to match our steps with his steps. And we pray, Lord, that you'll burden our hearts to have that kind of commitment. Burden our hearts to be a, a better Christian, to follow you, and not to try to 
go our own way or uh, do our own uh, agenda. Thank you, Lord, for this time in the Word. Bless our uh, time as we share some prayer requests and then our business meeting as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.